Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Emily Johnson, and I'm here with my family. Just so excited to be worshiping with you all. And um, I'm going to read uh, today's scripture, which is Mark 1, 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Dear God, uh, we just thank you for this word. We pray that you would just speak through Cameron this morning as you just reveal your love for us, Lord, um, and your willingness to meet us where we're at um, in the most desolate places, God, which for us may be just the busyness of our own minds or anxiety or discouragement or loneliness, God. Um, I just pray that you would meet just each person here and, and sitting at home uh, just in their own desolate place, Lord, and just remind them that uh, it's not too far for you and that you are waiting to reach out your hand in comfort and healing, God. Um, we just, just thank you for just the good news of the gospel and uh, just pray that we would just be so overjoyed and full of it, Lord, that we couldn't keep it to ourselves, God. Uh, we just um, pray for this day and for our city um, and just that you would bring healing, God. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, thanks, Emily. Hey, everyone. How are we doing this morning? All right. Uh, my name's Cameron. If I haven't met you, we should meet. Um, I am one of the pastors here, and uh, just as a refresher, um, if you've been with us for a while, this is, this is no news, but we've, we've been working for the last few months with the Holy Week exception through the Gospel according to Mark, which is what we'll be continuing. We plan some breaks in the coming months, uh, but we want to we wanna move through this gospel slowly and steadily, which is one of these early sort of eyewitness-informed accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, who lived just about 2,000 years ago. And, and as we're walking through it, we're trying to carefully answer the question, who was this Jesus? Or if he is, as the scriptures claim, still alive, who is this Jesus? I want to answer that as accurately as we can. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, we hope this will be like an eye-opening, uh, reinvigorating thing that gives you fresh clarity on who he is and what it means to follow after him. And if you're not sure what you think about Jesus, I assume there are some people in this room who are just like, I, I don't know. Um, we hope that this brings you face-to-face -face with him. Um, so maybe for the first time, so you can give a clear-eyed answer to that question that he asks everyone at some point or another, who do you say that I am? Um, to transition, a few years ago uh, at Door of Hope Southeast, before, you know, Northeast here, we've, we've been a church just over a year, 
Um, but it was just Door of Hope before that, and, and uh, it, meeting in Southeast. And a couple of years ago, uh, there was, some of you parents have probably, probably experienced this, there was, a, there was a pretty bad case of hand, foot, and mouth disease going around. Was anybody, anybody get that at Door of Hope, presumably? I see a few. Yeah. I was one of them. So my kids, you know, kids are just like passing germs back and forth, and it's crazy. It's part of what makes reopening kids' ministry with COVID such, a, such an interesting endeavor. Um, but hand, foot, and mouth was going around. One of my kids got it, my, little, little, my son Lane, and uh, he had a very mild case. He had like a fever and like a tiny little rash like on his forehead. I'm like, oh, that's nothing. And it kind of came and went. And then... Like a week or two after that, I got it. And I didn't get like a cute little kid version of it. It was like, all right, can you, han- can you handle the truth? Of what? This, is the, this is the most detail I can give you. I'm sorry, it's disturbing. But it was so bad on the bottoms of my feet that when I would walk around our house on our wood floors, it literally made this sound. Just like open sore, I'm, I, I said mouth, that's disgusting, that's disgusting. And it was disgusting, like it was like open sores on the bottom of my feet and then uh, I don't think my hands got it, but then my whole head was just like, should I just stop? <laughs> Gross things on my head, I'll just say that, yeah, I won't, I won't I'll spare you a bit. And uh, it, it was horrifying. I didn't really hurt, which made it even weirder. They weren't like painful sores. I just felt like a monster, you know? <laughs> my kids and my wife looked at me. I'm like, I know, I'm horrifying. Um, so there you go. That, you know, <laughs> so here's the question. I know, and the question is this, and I know the answer is yes, probably for most of us, especially this year, but have you ever been forced to sort of legitimately like quarantine from people um, because you were sick? And, and there's scale here. There's... There's kind of the funny stories, like I, like, like I just told, you know, it's not, ultimately I wasn't really, like, in danger of anything. And then there's the sort of, like, COVID reality most of us have been affected by one way or the other. I, maybe you've had COVID, and you've had to go and quarantine, looking around, I, I know a few of you have, have been sick and have had to quarantine from people, or, you, you, you know, your loved one, your friend, or your co-worker's been sick, and you've had to go and get some distance. Um, and then, the, and, you know, all the way up to these sort of, like, deeply tragic heartbreaking cases of of having to quarantine. And today's passage in Mark deals with one of these. Um, Emily read the text for us, but I'll just read the first verse again. Verse 40, a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And leprosy, uh, potentially, depending on what, what case of it this guy had, definitely falls in this just tragic case um, for a number of reasons. So the, the biblical term leprosy, it, it refers to a whole host of, of, of skin diseases. So it, they didn't have the specific taxonomy that we do now where we've got, you know, uh, what's it called? Hansen's disease, which is what we think of when we think of leprosy. Um, but that would have been included in, in their broader category of leprosy or skin disease. So it included everything from, you know, skin boils, uh, ringworms, things like that, all the way up to what we think of as leprosy, which is this like cruel disease that attacks your nervous system and 
you know, makes you unable to feel pain, and as a result, like, your body can begin to just deteriorate as you're not, you know, pain is useful. Pain is a grace from God because it enables us to go, oh, something's wrong. I should address that. If your pain receptors don't work, you just crumble. It's horrifying. So we don't know exactly uh, what this what this man had. It could have been anything along that spectrum. Um, but, but whatever it was, the socio-religious result was going to be the same. And that's because the Mosaic law, the law given by God in the Old Testament through Moses to Israel to set them apart as his people, it actually devoted two whole chapters in the book of Leviticus to, to what happens if someone gets leprosy or skin disease. And here's, here's a, here's a Here's a quote from you, for you, uh, Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So the law, the Mosaic law, required people to be kept in quarantine from society. Two whole chapters were devoted to this. And so lepers were outcasts. Uh, and it's not, it's not simply just cruel. It's not cruelty on the law's part. It's, it's this idea that these are potentially like fatal, destructive disease that could just spread like wildfire throughout the community. So the result is we need to keep this person out to keep especially the religious practices safe for people to continue to be able to worship. And the commentator, James Edwards, he, he states this, um, as you might assume, if someone is supposed to be kept away from everybody, and if they come near anyone, they have to shout, unclean, 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 to announce their presence. Uh, here's what he says. He says, the disease robbed them of their health, yes, but the sentence imposed on them as a, as a consequence robbed them of their name, their occupation, their habits, their family and fellowship, and their worshiping community. To ensure against contact with society, lepers were required to make their appearance as repugnant as possible. This is intense, and it's sad, and it's tragic. And, you know, Hansen's disease, or, or leprosy as we think of it, it's still around in the world, and people can still get it. Uh, maybe you know someone that's had it, I'm not sure. But I, I was trying to think of, like, a, a closer parallel to the kind of social fear that people would have um, you know, something parallel for us to what leprosy would have been in Jesus' day. And the closest thing I could think of is the way that so many have responded to the HIV-AIDS sort of crisis over the last few decades. You know, there's sort of healthy precaution, and then there's the kind of fear and paranoia and anger and ostracism, responses that ultimately dehumanize people that can, that can actually even just make life worse for the sufferer than the disease itself in some cases. So that's what this man has. He's in, a, he's in Capernaum or somewhere in that region, the region of Galilee in Israel. Uh, he's, he's, he's under this law. He's got the disease. He has to make himself an outcast to the rest of society. But not only is he in this horrible situation, but, but, but he comes to Jesus with, with a desperate and confident faith, doesn't he? Um, his words, if you will, you can make me clean. And we see the desperation 
in his approach. Look at all these words we get to describe. He came to him. He implored him or begged of him. He kneels before him. He speaks to him. He's just coming in all these ways right up to Jesus. And given everything we've just said about how lepers are supposed to act, this is offensive. This is transgressive. If Jesus is is the Messiah, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Probably other people are offended. Like, don't, don't come infect or sicken, or, or risk the health, or make ceremonially unclean the Messiah. Keep your distance, man. But he comes right up to Jesus in desperation. He risks everything because, secondarily, he's confident. He's confident in Jesus' ability to heal him. And he says it's not a matter of power. He assumes that Jesus has the power to heal him. Whatever he's heard about Jesus has led him to believe this guy can heal It's just a matter of if you will, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean, he says. He rightly declares Jesus has the ability to heal, and he knows that it just comes down to willingness on Jesus' part. So, what does Jesus do? This is offensive, this is risky, this is violating all kinds of not just social norms, but religious, like, law norms here. And we already read it. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched the man and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. There's a lot going on in those few verses. I want to just kind of break it down. First, I want to talk about this, this, this moment of Jesus reaching out and touching this man. First, first, the heart of this touch. What was Jesus' sort of emotional response to this man? And this actually isn't, um, there, there's some complexity here. Is anybody, does anybody have, have a, is anybody reading the NIV translation right now? Yes, a couple. So if you're reading the NIV, you see that there's actually a different word here. It says that Jesus, uh, what do I have? Jesus was indignant with this man. Here in the ESV, we've got Jesus has pity on this man. So which is it? What's going on? Those seem like some wildly different responses. And this is the first significant time in Mark that we have to talk about the issue of biblical textual criticism. (laughs) Sounds super fun. We're all on the edge of our seats here. Okay. But biblical textual criticism is this whole discipline of study devoted to examining the various ancient copies of the biblical manuscripts. Um, And we we have to note the New Testament has far more and far earlier manuscripts than any other ancient document in all of world history. So there's just this wealth of early, early copies of of the New Testament. Um, But but there's points where these different texts say different things. One case, there's a text tradition that says Jesus was uh, full of pity for this man. And then there's other copies that say Jesus was full of uh, anger or, uh, what's again, uh, indignance, which the NIV has. Um, And so this is one of those cases where there's mystery enough that textual criticism is trying to find out what was the original? What What did from the pen of Mark, what did it say? And it's unclear what Mark said. Um, for what it's worth, somewhere under 1% of the New Testament textual variants are meaningful and viable, meaning they're, 
They, they significantly affect anything. They're more than just a spelling error or something. And, and they affect a significant Christian doctrine exactly 0% of the time. So it's like the doctrine of the Trinity or salvation by grace is not hanging on one of these textual variants. Um, and we don't, frankly, need to be scandalized by this or by the human history of the transmission of the Bible. Um, this can't be a sermon about this, but if you're interested in learning more, shoot me an email. We can take a deep dive um, together. Um, but this particular text divides scholars. Was, was Jesus moved with pity or compassion, or was he moved with anger uh, or indignance? Um, here's, here's where this one ultimately kind of, the, the weirdness of this kind of seeds in the background, because if it was anger, most commentators agree that it was anger at the disease and what it was doing to this man. If it had been anger at the man for approaching, Jesus probably said, get away from me, go away, go and do your thing. Uh, but Jesus responds with, I, I will heal you, and makes the move to touch him. So uh, if it was anger, it's probably anger at the disease and what it had brought about in this man's life. Or if it's compassion or pity, it's, there you go, right there on the surface. He feels, he feels concern, deep concern for this man. Either way, the point of this verse remains. Jesus cares deeply about this man's suffering and is going to move to relieve it. That's the point. So um, Jesus doesn't respond how basically any of us, if we're being honest, would, would have responded in this situation. If, if we're honest, uh, we would probably cower in fear. Uh, we would probably run away. We'd probably, you know, chastise him for endangering us or endangering our religious leader or whatever. Uh, Jesus... With Jesus, though, it's just, it's just love. <laughs> it's just compassion. It's just mercy all the way down and hatred of suffering all the way down. That's the heart of Jesus. Whatever, whatever the original text is, whichever of those two is right, it, the point remains. Secondly, I just want to note the scandal of Jesus reaching out and touching this man. Again, there's a powerful surface meaning here. Jesus reaches out to the man to touch him even when his words at a distance would do. Jesus could say, up, 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 just stay over there. Yeah, I'll heal you. I'll, I'll heal you from here. I've got the power to do it. Doesn't matter how close we are. But Jesus lets the man come up, and then he reaches out to touch. And, and more than that, Jesus allows himself to be ritually defiled for worship, right? That's the whole point of, that, of the laws around these things, is that if the unclean person touches another unclean, another, a clean person, the clean person becomes unclean. So Jesus allows himself to be made ritually unclean to make this man undefiled and clean. And even more powerful, there's like the, the even more powerful symbolic meaning is right here in this verse because it, it, it's something that encapsulates the entire point of the incarnation, which is the Lord himself leaving the throne room of God, leaving the right hand of God in the triune eternal relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and coming into this mess of a world that humans have made and, and, and embracing this whole mess of, of humanity and coming face to face with human sickness and frailty and sin and evil and death and destruction and every bit of it. Him reaching his hand is just a microcosm of the entire heart of God on display in the incarnation. This moment, this little act of Jesus reaching out and touching this man reinforces one of the main themes of the good news of, of God, 
that, that Jesus, that God himself, isn't primarily a distant and disappointed figure. He's the one who gives everything to come as humanly close or as divinely close as possible to rescue us. He reaches out. He does the work. He provides what is needed. That's scandalous. And it's the center of the heart of God. And then finally, we just note the power of the touch. It works. It's instant healing. Jesus isn't like some other miracle worker who has to have incantations and spells and formulas and a whole ritual to do this. He simply, de- he simply touches and says, it's done. I will be cleansed. And the man is cleansed. He's instantly healed of his sickness and then he's instantly religiously cleansed. In fact, Jesus is the only person in the whole of the Bible, or the whole of human history, who when touched by someone ceremonially defiled, doesn't become defiled, but actually cleanses the other person. And that is significant. Uh, this article by Betsy Childs Howard put it this way, each time Jesus touched a dead body, he should have been defiled. When he touched the sick, he could have become sick. Instead, the dead became alive and the sick became well. Jesus' life gave life. And his cleanliness is so deep that it was contagious. That's really, really well said. This instant healing and this instant cleansing, these are realities that can only come from God himself. So that's the act. He heals the man. Makes him clean. And then he tells the man to, very sternly, it makes a point, he sternly charges this man to go away and to say nothing to anyone. And this is part of this theme that's developing in Mark where Jesus needs to be able to minister on his own terms. He doesn't want his purpose and his mission to get crowded out by the swarms of people coming to sort of demand his time or energy one way or the other. He says, don't tell anyone. He says it sternly. Jesus is not playing around here. But but Jesus, Jesus gives one exception to this. See that? Don't tell anyone except, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. He did, the man didn't need to be cleansed according to the law. Jesus already cleansed him. But he actually wants to go and have, have this man go and reveal himself to the priest. And you know what this is? This is an, another act of grace and mercy. We know Jesus doesn't want word to get out about what he's capable of right now so he can minister unfettered. But he says, actually go and tell the priest. What this means is he's telling this man to go and do whatever you need to do to go be welcomed back into the community. You see that? Even if it means the word about Jesus spreading... Jesus risks the frustration of his ministry to make sure that this man will be able to get inspected by the priest and to get formally declared clean so that he can return from the margins and the the desolate places of society back into relationship, back into a job, back into his family, back into friendships, back into people's homes to have meals, back into human touch, back into not having to declare himself unclean, unclean, unclean anytime he's around another human. Jesus says, go, even if it gets the priests aware of me, go and do what you need to do so you can be welcomed back in with the community. 
just remind, like, with COVID, you know, all these, like, sickness metaphors, you know, are, COVID is fresh on my mind as we're reading through these things. I've been thinking through, there have been a couple of times where uh, we've all been here, where, you know, you have some sort of symptom of being sick. You're like, oh, man, I've got, I don't feel good. I've got a little bit of a cough or whatever. And you're like, I don't know if I've got COVID. If I do, I, I shouldn't be around anybody. And he's, this is almost like Jesus saying, like, look, I've healed you. If Jesus was in front of us, I've got COVID. He heals me. You don't have COVID anymore. But he says, look, go get your COVID test. Because all these people just saw you coughing yesterday. And I want you to go get your test. And I want you to be able to show them that, like, this, this is what's happened. So you can go and re-enter into society. And again, Jesus does this at risk to his own agenda of being able to accomplish the things that he needs to be able to do. His grace and his mercy is even superseding that. So when finally, finally, what happens? It says, the man goes, verse 45, and he went out, and does he listen to Jesus? No, not really. <laughs> we, I assume he goes to the priest so that he can be reinstated into society. That's good. Here's what's bad. He just goes and starts talking about the miracle freely. Man, this guy, Jesus healed me. And I mean, how could you not? You don't have some grace for this guy. I mean, he's been healed of this thing that has utterly changed and wrecked his life. And everything's different now. So he goes and he spreads the news. But when you know what it does? It hinders Jesus. Jesus could no longer openly enter a town because the word is spreading and the crowds are pressing in. And he was out in desolate places. That's Jesus. And people were coming to him from every quarter. So the man disobeys, and the result is that life and ministry is more difficult for, for, for Jesus. But it's deeper than that. And here's where we'll conclude this story. It's deeper than that. And if we look closely, and, and it's already been the case, it's going to be the case as we keep going through Mark or any of the other Gospels, when we see one of these dramatic exchanges, one of these healing stories where Jesus heals, According to the sovereign plan of God, this is not only an individual healing experience that happened, which it is, it is, but it's a real-life historical literary device that reveals something, some larger truth about how God is with his people. And, and, and the truth that's revealed here is something deep and profound and significant about how sinners are brought into the family of God. It's an exchange. It's a trading of places with Jesus. You see that? Mark wants us to notice the way he's constructed this story. It's a true story, but the way he's narratively put this thing together, he shows us the one who was forced at the beginning of the story to remain outside the community, away from everyone, quarantined off in a distance, who cannot come and be near the people. He comes close. And at the touch of Jesus, he's brought back into society. Where does Jesus end up at the end of this story? In the desolate places. You see that? That is the gospel. That is the gospel. The Son of God gives up his place for someone on the margins and quite literally takes the man's position out in the wilderness, unable to come unfettered into the community. Jesus takes that man's position and gives him his. You see that? 
This is what Jesus does, and his work on the cross is, is the ultimate trade, the ultimate exchange. The, it's the fulfillment of what this is even signifying in part. The ultimate swapping of our position and identity for his. That's what Jesus does. On the cross, Jesus bears the consequence of your and my fallen humanity, our sin, our contributions to all that is evil and broken and unjust in this world. He takes that on himself, and he gives us as a free gift his holiness, his righteousness, his perfect standing with God the Father. On the cross, the one who was near to God was made far away, crucified as a criminal, that we who were far away would be brought close. Or as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The story of Jesus with this leper is an object example of how does God treat those on the margins, those on the outside, those who, frankly, legitimately have no business amongst the cleanliness of, religious, of religiosity or whatever. He trades places. And the man couldn't get himself to the center by himself. He needs Jesus to come and touch him, make him clean, and it's at cost to Jesus. Jesus ends up on the outside. Jesus ends up on the margin, but he's happy. It's his joy to do it because that's just the kind of God he is. That's the kind of Savior he is. That's the kind of King he is. That's the kind of Messiah he is, the one who will trade places with you and with me, and that's the only thing that can save us. Amen? So go about this week. I encourage you, pull this back out. Pull Mark 1. I, now I haven't even checked. I don't have my full Bible ahead of me. Is this the last story of Mark 1? Somebody with your Bible open? Yes. Next week's Mark 2. Pull Mark 1 back out and read the way all these little stories. They're, they're, they're stories of Jesus encountering one person or a small group or whatever, but they're these beautiful pictures that all point us forward profound ways to, to the ultimate story of the gospel and what he's going to do for us on the cross. And if you've been a follower of Jesus, this, may we just look at this with fresh eyes and celebrate Jesus who at some point in your life traded places with you. He went to the cross for you to give you eternal righteous standing with God. Amen? Amen.